Right there at the end, I decided to take a drink of water. I probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, why not? At least you didn't. <laughs> oh. Literally, oh, right at right right there at the end. Um, well, at least it didn't come out your nose. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That's true. So we are we are back for another fun-filled episode of the Fusion Underground. This is we're still in season five. This is episode six. Uh, number 54. Number 54. Can you believe that? No, I really can't. I really yeah. can't. Yeah. I, I, you know, it hit me. The 52 kind of came and went, and then it, I, it hit me afterwards. Oh my God, we've been doing this for a year. I know, right? That's, that's, that's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy, but, uh, but awesome. It, I love it's it. It's also pretty cool, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, we're, we are back here at the Fusion Underground. Um, I'm just going to jump right into it. So we've got a couple of things that, um, well, the main thing that we're going to talk about this, this week is something that we talked about last week when we had our panel on, our panel of guys. Okay. All dads. So th- there was something about that whole conversation that I wanted to dive in with and talk, I guess, with more precision for lack of a better, better word, <laughs> more intention. Sure. Okay. Sure. So we're going to, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about, I, that's a great, I like that. How to live with intention. Okay. I think that, I think there, I, I was struggling with how we were actually going to describe the show today and i think i think how to live with intention is a great way to describe it so we're going to talk about that um but i do have we do have some stupid news that we have to talk a little bit about um as you and probably the rest of the world knows um the chauvin trial finally ended chauvin is that how you say is that how you pronounce it i think it's uh chauvin chauvin Derek no, Derek Chauvin. It's, it's, Derek a, it's Chauvin. like SH. Okay. Yeah, so Derek Chauvin. So the, that trial ended. Guilty on all counts. <laughs> uh, uh, which is impossible. You, you can't be guilty right. on all three counts because they contradict by nature. Right. But, but I... Okay. But here's So I don't even want to talk about the trial. Because okay, the trial, let's not do that. The, 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 the trial is just... Too funny on too many levels. It's funny in a bad way. A I guess all you way. can all you yeah. can really do is just laugh in general. 
Um, but the same day that the trial ended, there was another shooting, another mm -hmm. police involved shooting. And um, this police officer killed a 16 year old girl. Okay. And the Twitter sphere, social media exploded. Yeah. It exploded. And it, it, it exploded for several days. I mean, all pretty much all last week, it was this negative. I mean, it was just this vitriol and, you know, against police officers mm -hmm. because of this shooting of this 16 year old girl. So I want to talk about that for a moment before we get into living with intention. Okay. Um, the, the crazy thing. So did you see any of this about this girl being shot? I'm not sure if I saw this one. No, um, I, I know. I, I remember the gal and I'm sorry, I can't remember the names, but um, the gentleman who uh, the, the female police officer shot when she accidentally grabbed her pistol instead of her taser. I saw, I, <laughs> I know of that. Um, <laughs> that one was ridiculous too. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that was that the, the cop, she, she, screwed up that oh yeah she screwed up i mean admittedly so there's no question yeah. yeah she she completely screwed up that no this this particular one so the police were called out there was some kind of craziness happening at a house uh there's actual video footage of it somebody recorded it from across the street but then the police released the body cam footage from the police officer or the dash cam i think it was i can't remember which one um, that the day that it happened. So later that afternoon, released the dash cam. Uh, but uh, when the police officer showed up, there was some kind of hubbub going out on outside of a house in the lawn. Some girls were fighting and the cop tried, he, he attempts to step in and to break it up. And one of the girls just wasn't going to have any of it. Big girl. She was the one who was shot and killed. Um, even with the police officer there trying to quell everything, white police officer, of course, um, the black girl gets away and charges this other black girl. We can only assume that she's about the same age and then is wielding a knife and is literally in the stabbing, like coming around to stab the girl. And that's when the police shot her mm -hmm. and took her down. And the girl, the, uh, the, the, the girl who was going to get stabbed is literally recoiling up against the car, like, don't stab me. She can see it coming. And then the police officer shoots the other girl. Now, you can only imagine that Twitter exploded when they found when everybody found out this was a 16 year old girl. Well, the police officer didn't stand what didn't have time to check date of births. First of right, all, right. Second of all, this was a really big girl. Um, just even looking at the video, there's no way I would have known that she was 16. She's over 200 pounds, easy. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the the video footage is clear as day. The girl is she's. Swinging around, Makia, I think is her name, if that's how you pronounce it. She's swinging around, literally going to knife this girl, this this the skinny girl, the other skinny black girl, and then gets taken down. Now, some blue checks on Twitter were saying that the girl was unarmed. 
And then they changed oh. the story and they said, well, there was really a knife involved, but the she wasn't holding the knife. The knife was in the yard. And, mm. and even when the video came out, even when the police department released the dash cam footage, everybody kept saying the same thing. You killed her 16 year old girl. She was a baby. And then all of a sudden it became, you killed a baby. And it, well, no mention, it, no, but no mention, last point, no mention of the other black girl that the white officer literally protected. Yeah. You saved a 16-year-old baby girl. Yeah. Let's not, yeah. Um, yes. You killed a 16-year-old girl. Yes, you did. Absolutely. And you saved another one's life. Correct. Those are both true. Both can be true at the both same can be time. True simultaneously. Yeah. And that's yeah. this is the 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 problem with replying in sentiment. Yeah. Um you you hear one part and reply to the sentiment of oh how awful. And you know what? It is awful. It is terrible that a 16-year-old girl was shot and killed. Would you also feel terrible if that 16-year-old girl stabbed another 16-year-old girl and killed her with a knife to the head? No, is the answer. That's the sad, very, very sad truth. Because if that happened, it would not make the news. It would not make the, tw the Twitter news feed. And you would never know about it. So you wouldn't feel bad because it would just be one more black-on-black black crime that does not make national news media. And that is also true and also horrible and sad. Now, let me ask you this. You, you went to high school. I went to high school. <laughs> yes, I did. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So For we four both, years, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we were both teenagers at one time. Um, did you get into any knife fights when you were in high school? Do you know anybody who no. got into knife fights? Yes. How did that turn out for them? Bloody. I'm sure. Um, so the blue checks, even so the blue check marks first, of course, remember first they said she was unarmed. Mm -hmm. Then they said, well, there was a knife involved, but the knife was actually in the yard. It wasn't actually being, well, Okay, so, well, first it was she was unarmed. Then it was, well, she wasn't really unarmed because there was a knife in the yard, but she wasn't holding it. So she was armed prior and then she dropped it. And then the video came out and they said, well, you know, um, okay, so she did have the knife. And okay, yeah, she was swinging to stab a girl. But then Brie Newsom, and I don't know who she is. She's some, I think she's a lawyer. Anyway, she's a blue check mark. Um, you know, she tweeted out, and this was pretty much. I'm just going to read her one tweet because it was pretty much the sentiment from all the the liberal blue checks on Twitter that day. And this this was what Bree Newsom said. She said, "Quote: Teenagers have been having fights, including fights involving knives, for eons. We do not need police to address these situations by showing up to the scene." and using a weapon against one of the teenagers. Y'all need help. I mean that sincerely. So 
the blue checks quickly changed their tune and said, there's no reason for a police officer to show up to a scene and to stop a knife fight. So I don't know what blue checks or who blue checks or any of that. I, I don't know what that is, who they are. I don't know any of that, but I'll say this. <laughs> um, if I have kids in my front yard, whether they're mine or not, and one of them or more has a knife, please, police department, come break that up. Correct. Because I don't want it. Whether it's my right. kids or not, I don't need somebody getting stabbed to death in my front yard. I had somebody growing up. This is a true story. I had somebody growing up who got their head smashed on the front ball hitch of my camper trailer parked in my driveway. Yikes. I don't know if the guy died or not. What I do know is they hauled him away and there was blood and yuckiness all over my driveway. That's the kind of neighborhood I grew up in. Um, but I'm sure as hell glad the cops were there to de-escalate that if there is such a thing <laughs> or at least clean up some of the mess to get it away. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I wholeheartedly support the police stepping in to try and prevent loss of life if and wherever possible. So can we, can we do a palate cleanser really quick? Oh, please. Yes. Just to make this a little, a little bit fun. I feel like Mama Clump. Hercules, Hercules, Her Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I found this little gem. I think you'll get a kick out of this. I hope you can see this okay. So uh, this video is of a lady who is going to try to parallel park. Parallel park. Uh, yes, that is correct. She's going to try to parallel or park. just park in between two cars. We'll just say it that way. <laughs> Sure. Okay. Um, I, I think this is just it. This is freaking amazing. So I'll just play it here. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any sound to this. What I've been through. Oh, there's some music. Actually, I'm just gonna go ahead and mute that because it doesn't really matter. So here she comes, and it's kind of sped up because this this actually took part over a long time. You can see this lady walking by with her dog. <laughs> she picks her dog up. Oh yeah, my god. She picks her dog up. Look at it. Now she's she's, she's measuring out. <laughs> Okay, now she's measuring out her car. She gets back in. Okay, let's try this again. Let's pull back in. Oh, no, her angle's way too steep. No, got to pull back out. All right, let me kind of, okay, let me pull back in again. Oh now God. she's too shallow. Oh, look, another lady's <laughs> coming in. And is this other lady now is going to direct her into the space. Come on, back up, back up. Turn, turn the reel, turn the reel, crank it. Oh she pulled out, back out several times now. Oh, 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 no, stop. oh, stop, stop, stop. No. Okay. Yay. Success. We got it. Yay. They hug, they hug, <laughs> and then the lady gets in. And then she got. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was, that was her car behind. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Oh my gosh. So for, okay, wait. For everybody out there who's listening on audio and not seeing the video, this poor lady who, this bystander who, hero, saved the day to help back this poor lady into her parallel parking space after she 
finally got her parked in. Okay, cool. Gave her a hug, then got in the car that she was trying to parallel park between and drove off. <laughs> yeah. Just opened that space right up. <laughs> but they even hugged at the end. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what? I got to give a, a kudos and shout out to my, my mom and stepdad for teaching me to parallel park um, the giant Cadillac because they said if you can learn to parallel park this thing you can park anything and you know what i parallel park a lot and thank you for that because they taught me well <laughs> so i didn't learn on that but i did learn on a 1976 datsun pickup which happened to be the first car that i drove yep and that did not have power steering yank on it man come on <laughs> Yeah, I had a 91 Nissan pickup was my first truck, and I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I had a big old steel bumper on the back, so I had to be very careful not to hit a car because mm -hmm. the bumper was going to survive and nothing else would. I mean, it was like that's a little tiny pickup truck. It's an itty-bitty like, pickup truck with a two-ton truck bumper on it. Oh, yeah, I had this big old gigantic steel ballista on the back of that sucker. Um, So... Oh, no, oh. I'll save that one for, I'll save that one for another day. I have another. Uh, oh, okay. You got another, I have another good one. All right. Palette plunger, but I'm going to save that for later. Um, so let's talk about living with intention. Okay. Being intentional. Being intentional. I like that. Okay. Last week when we were talking with the fellas, somehow we got on the topic. I don't remember exactly how it all came down, but we got on the topic about how you just live a good life. You just do it. Well, we were, we were talking about uh, being a man and raising mm -hmm. in particular. Right. I think we were, we were on to the fatherhood perspective of how do you in today's society where manhood is being um, chastised and criticized for, how do you raise men honorable strong but, masculine men right but more importantly how do you do that how do you live by a set of principles and values on a daily basis how Correct. do you how do you practice that and we talked about i think it came up that well you just do you just do that you just mm -hmm. do it and i and i called time out for a moment there and i said wait a minute you know i i i, I don't necessarily think that that's the case and the reason is the reason for that is because there are a lot of people that I interact with on a daily basis that they know that they need to operate, perform a function a certain way. And I'm not even talking about principles and values and living a moral. I'm just talking about the work that they do every day, mm -hmm. you know, making the, making the widgets. So they're making the widgets um, and they're not making it the correct way. And, and yet they've been trained how to do it that way. And, and yet when I stop them and say, Hey, do we need to kind of revisit some other, some of our fundamental practices here? Do we need to, what do we need? Something is not working out. You're, you're not doing it the way you're supposed to. And so we need to, we need to kind of revisit this. And this is very basic level stuff in terms of the making of the widgets. And so, and, and a lot of people will say, 
oh, I don't need to have the training. I was already trained three years ago. I don't need to do that again. And we do it all the time. And I know how to, I know how to work in this framework. And I'm like, no, you don't. You clearly do not because you're struggling with it and you're constantly struggling with it. And unless we revisit those values and those principles for the framework, you're, you're, you can't even recite them to me. You can't even tell me what they are. And so I start, so I was thinking, of, I've been thinking about this all week in terms of how do we live intentionally? What are the things that we do and why, and why is that important? Um, I fundamentally believe it's really important because if you don't live with that in, intentionality, I guess, if you, if you don't get up every day and you don't say your prayer, you don't think about the, what you're trying to accomplish that day, or you don't even reflect, you don't spend even five seconds reflecting and orienting yourself to the world. How do you know you're going to be successful? And I don't buy the premise of, well, you just do it. Because I think, I think most people, if the vast majority of people, if they could get away with murder, they would commit murder. Yeah. You've said that before. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I understand, I guess, on a base level, um, the idea, well, just, you just do it. There's, there are some things of value in there. So let me, let me, let me pause. And I think pick that apart a little bit and then move forward. So first and foremost, there's a sense of ownership, an onus to it. Um, because if you are going to tackle your day and you're going to tackle your life and try and live with a certain sense of honor or a code of honor, and I think that's what we were talking about at the time when this kind of came up, um, you have to be the one to take ownership of that. And so there's no excuses. There's no um, avenues of practice. You just, you just go do it. And that's the idea when we were talking about, I think, earlier in our discussion, where it's like, you know, man up. Um, man up, take it on and go do it, go handle your business. And I do think that when, that we become, I guess, kind of, um, accustomed to our normal daily routine that we don't, I guess we don't think about those things until they're put right directly in our face, especially when our principles or values or principles are tested. That's when we seem like, okay, maybe this is a time to reflect on that. However, I guess I would challenge that if you are not putting on your armor before you go out for battle, that's not the time to try and then quickly put it on when you're going to be tested. So much like prayer is putting on your spiritual armor in the morning to ward off the dangers and temptations of the world, if you are going to try and act or be honorable in your day-to-day -day interactions. If you are going to try and be a man and, and embrace masculinity for, for what it is, that's something you need to prepare for before you head out and are tested with that. Because without it, those, that's where temptation leads us to failure. Um, if we're not prepared, you talked about this a little bit with um, stoicism long time ago when you talked about um, thinking about the worst things that can possibly happen to you so that should one of those things happen, you are mentally um, prepared for that. You've already lived through that once so that you know what's going on. Um, we talk about that with um, um, field aptitude training 
And, you know, law enforcement officers and military, they do that kind of thing over and over. That's why they drill, 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 so that when you actually are put in a situation, your training naturally takes over. And you're not trying to fumble around, figure out how to get your magazine into your firearm and rack it and get it ready to fire should you need it. That's already happened by the time you actually draw that out. Everything's there. Boom, 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 boom. It all happens automatic. Um, that's what good practice and 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 going through that routine over and over and over again actually does for us as just men in the world we don't have situations where we practice that necessarily i think we have to actually leave and head out for our day intentional on being a good and strong and better man today than we were yesterday elsewise you know we're just going to skate through and those kind of things are slowly chipped away at just by the natural course of time. Yeah, there's something that you were, um, that we were talking about before we were recording, before we started recording. Um, and I mean, part, part of the reason why this kind of gets me going a little bit is I think about, I think about the young men that are, that are growing up right now. From kindergarten through college age, okay. Um, and if if you're a parent, I mentioned this to you earlier. If you're a parent, what's the one thing that you're trying to do? You're trying to not just ensure that your child is alive by the time they become an adult. That's that's one of the item, one of the things that you're trying to achieve. But if that's your sole goal is to make sure that your child survives until their 18th birthday, then you've done your child a huge disservice because you're going to send your child out into the world. And that world is a very dangerous place. Now, yes, we have societies and yes, we have cities. We have cities right now that are because of all of the police shootings, the alleged police shootings, okay? This pandemic of police shootings that we're allegedly supposed to believe. But we have cities all across this country that are calling for the literal abolishment of uh, police, police officers. Now, some of them, I was reading an article today, Philadelphia, New Jersey, and New York City have massive amounts of open slots on their police forces. Mm -hmm. I think it was Philadelphia in the first four months of this year, something like 79 police officers have put in for retirement, which means they're going to retire over the next three to four years. And this time last year, there were 13. Right. So police officers are like, screw this, I'm out. Yeah. Um, I think it was only going to get worse and it's only going to get worse. New York city is something they're down something like seven, 800 police officers. Now then the police are there to keep the peace. The police are there to hopefully protect your child. Now, can you imagine your child as an adult has grown up? They're 20 years old. They're living in New York city or somewhere in New Jersey or Philadelphia or something like that. Portland for crying out loud. And there's no police around to protect your child. The universe the is going to come crashing down on your child with a vengeance. Yeah. The world's going to eat your kid's lunch. 
It's going to eat them. It's going to eat it. You as a parent, you have to prepare your child to be able to survive. Now, yes, they have to go and find, we hope that they grow, get up to a certain age and then go out and acquire a skill that they can provide themselves with. You're not you may, or you may not teach your child how to literally earn a living. Okay. But you need to teach them how to deal with the daily stressors that they're going to encounter. What happens when they have a flat tire on their way to work? Even if they don't know how to change it, they need to know how to work the problem. They need to understand how to deal with the immediate stress and anxiety that builds up in them. And they have to find some way to release that. And I think we're, we're creating a, a nation of coddled children who by the time they become 18, 19 years of age, have no idea how to mentally deal with anything that isn't good in their eyes. And we wonder why we have a whole bunch of kids who want to be dependent on others. I made this point before that we are raising adult children who are still dependents. And if it's not going to be on their parents, they're finding someone else or something else to be dependent on to care for their every need. And that is, I'm sorry, it's not a failure of the kids at that point. It's not a failure even of society at that point. It's a, it's a failure of our of our home. This it's, it's the deterioration of the family unit. We are not teaching our kids how to be strong women and strong men. They're just kids. Um, I was reading this book over the, over the weekend and it was called the, it's called the warrior ethos. And in the book, the author is talking about uh, different types of, of paths of, of the warrior, so to speak. So there's you know, like the Spartans, and then there's Bushido, and all these different kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that was really interesting in terms of the Spartan culture is in ancient Sparta, the whole concept of the warrior was not just of masculinity it was embraced by the entire society particularly with mothers so legend has it that when when king leonidas took the 300 took his 300 spartans to go fight in the battle of thermopylae that there that the the wives turned out the wives and mothers and everything and sisters turned out to watch the 300 leave the city and that there were Women, the women were crying as they left. But legend holds it was only the mothers of sons who were not going who cried. Hmm. Because, because for the Spartan culture, it was very much a sense of as a mother, you brought your son into the world. Now, keep in mind in Sparta, your child was yanked away from you at the age of seven. Mm-hmm. And your child was basically sent to military boot camp for the remaining of their, for the, for the rest of their life, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Until they matured into a man and were brought into the ranks of the Spartan army. So even the women knew that they were raising warriors. And so it was a sense of honor and pride, even for the women that they're, their sons and husbands and brothers would go off to do battle. And so it was almost, it was in essence an affront 
if your son was not picked, not chosen. So imagine all the thousands of warriors that Sparta had to go to the Battle of Thermopylae, but Leonidas could only take 300 in that moment because of time constraints and all of that. If your son was not picked, that was that was an affront. Right. You were you were in turmoil. Yep. Because they you didn't make wanted, the cut. Mm-hmm. and they knew they were going to go die. Everybody knew that. All in Sparta knew that they're going to go and they're dying and they're never coming back. And yet the mothers who didn't cry were the mothers whose sons were chosen. I think that's, I think that's amazing. It's intriguing. That it's, it's definitely a different, today. no, 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 no. And, and it's, it's hard to wrap our head around just hearing that in today's society. Um, and, and rightfully so, you know, I'm a parent of two and I try, I try to protect my child from harm at all costs. You know, I know my son's going to fight at some day. He will. He's a boy. He's going to get into a fight. Um, I'd like to protect him from, from that. I'd like to hope he comes out okay. <laughs> but he will. To think that I would, uh, um, I guess, cry at the fact that he would actually not go fight is just, it's foreign. It's a foreign concept. It's not. It's not original to our culture. But I can understand it from the cultural aspect of of, of ancient Sparta. Very different from the world today, of course. But you look at our society now, where we've got um, they call it helicopter parenting, or, or and there's another term or two for it. And I like or, snowplow parents or bulldozer. Yeah, parents yeah, yeah, or yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. paving the path so that they can walk the easy walk. You know, yeah. we don't and. You and I have talked about this before about allowing allowing children to fail. And and it's not just children. It's us as as <clears throat> excuse me, an entire society. I've said this before. We don't allow ourselves to fail right anymore. Um and I think that's a huge disservice to anyone going through just about damn near anything. You learn so much from failure or the opportunity is there to learn from failure. I mean, if you think about growing up, how many times you tried and failed at something before you got it figured out, you know, those things that you gave up on, you never did. But when you actually had to work through those problems and work through those turmoils and overcome those mountains and obstacles, that's when you actually were able to accomplish something out of that at the end, those are the rewarding moments that you remember. Those are the, the life lessons that you get taught. Um, and especially for, since we've been talking about masculinity, especially for men, there's a huge sense of self-reliance and perseverance, um, and fortitude that is gained out of surviving those trials, no matter how small they might be, that I think is essentially necessary to not only to men, but to our society as a whole. And we rob our kids and ourselves of that. um here's here's a clip i'm gonna play this for you because i thought okay um this is um this is quite remarkable i i don't know if this is if this girl is trolling um i i really hope she is trolling um crap hold on i gotta i gotta (laughs) i gotta bring it up i'm just gonna share the sound on this one She's just sitting in front of a in front of a camera, um, but she she appears to be you know maybe 14, 15 years old in high school. White girl, um, listen to what she says. 
How is eating meat racist? I'll gladly tell you. Looks like we've got an oppressor on our hands. So, during slavery times, slaves did not get to eat the same things as their masters. They got the scraps that no one wanted. Chitterlings. Now, that black people have overcome slavery, they developed a rich barbecue culture. Oh my god. Wait, she's not done yet. I just... Oh, oh my god. Okay. I just... I just... <laughs> I'm slapping my face. I can't... Okay. 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 Ready? They've developed a rich barbecue culture and to make up for all the meat eating that they lost out on. So when you go to the store and you buy a piece of meat as a white person, you are actively taking away a piece of meat that could be being enjoyed by a survivor of ancestral slavery. (laughs) What? So, so, So eating meat makes me no it's not act is it active racism or uh-huh. subconscious yeah, racism i don't know either way you're being racist if you I'm go just, by me i'm just a racist i'm actually at a point now where i might as well just, yeah i'm i'm racist sure i guess because i'm i'm racist if i am or, or not, not or it's if just, i say it, it, I, yeah, whatever it doesn't it's matter fine. it doesn't you, matter if yeah. you're white so we know you're racist hold on yeah. she's still not done oh god eating meat is not only racist but it's also anti-semitic during the Holocaust, Jews did not get to eat meat. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> it's not only racist; it's anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitic. Okay, okay. Hold. Go ahead. All right. It's also anti-Semitic. During the Holocaust, Jews did not get to eat meat in labor camps. They ate potato soup, which would spill on their bodies burning them and giving them infections. Now, Jew survivors eat a lot of meat. Brisket. Just let them have that. Stop appropriating everything. So anybody who eats brisket hates Jews. (laughs) That's what she just said. God. <laughs> and boiling potato soup causes infections. It's spilling it on you. Oh, burns oh okay. you and causes you infection. So <laughs> I'm at a, I ha, I hope I hope that's just a giant trolling. I I don't I can't tell anymore. I don't know. I I either want to say kudos to her for uh, for getting creative and figure and trying to string some of that stuff together. That's or, why I uh, hope it's a troll. Yeah. Or shame on our school systems and uh, parents. This is what I'm talking about. If you don't teach your kids, who the hell's going to? How is this girl going to survive? So, by a strong reliance upon the government to provide for her every need. Oh, I'm sorry. You were asking a rhetorical question. I apologize. Go ahead. (laughs) 
<laughs> Take that. <laughs> this is this is I think this is a whether it's trolling or not. Hopefully it is trolling. I hope to God it's trolling. But uh, there are people who think like this. I'm not saying they think this exact same thing. There are, but there are definitely people who think like this. They reach yeah. kind of these crazy, erroneous conclusions because they're not they're not being taught how to survive in the world. They're really not. They're not being trained how to overcome overcome words that hurt their feelings mm -hmm. and we've seen this a number of times where people say words are violence i mean there are people that literally say that today that words are violent yeah. and yeah. that you can hurt somebody with words and therefore we should clamp down and ban them from free speech rights you know having free speech rights and I was I was talking about this oddly enough with my daughter. I don't know why, because somebody I think was saying something mean, and I and I said, um, "Do you remember what we said about sticks and stones, honey?" And she said, "Yes, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me." What happened to that? Everybody knows that, but we don't believe it anymore. Is the, the sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will scar me internally and psychologically. And therefore it is your prerogative to guard me from harm. And you're a terrible person. And I'm going to sue you for everything you're worth and my, cancel you. My, my opinion is you're a terrible parent for letting you for raising a child who thinks that words are violence. And yet all these parents that actually have kids like this are ridiculously proud like they should be awarded parent of the year because their child is actually a upstanding individual. I've, I've mm -hmm. seen this. I'm like, yeah. no, your child is a, a, I feel bad for that poor kid. Yeah. You're and and I'm serious when I say that you're a terrible parent. Yes. If, if, if this is, if that is your child now, and if, I would go so far as to say, if you actually believe that, if you are proud of that fact, then you're also a terrible person. Right. Because there, that's, you should, there's no excuse for being proud of that kind of mentality. Now, there, there is an out that I will give to parents. And that is at some point your, your kid reaches a certain age where they're just going to go off and say the opposite of whatever it is that you say anyway. Um, uh, I said being proud of this. Right, right. So okay. that's what that's what I want to say. So if you if you're a parent who raised a child to be this way, then you're a terrible parent. If you were a parent who raised them to be different and then your child gets to a certain age and they're just rebelling and being little assholes um, and and saying this kind of and now they believe in this kind of crap. Well, you did all you could to stem the tide and you, you know, you can't hold the tide back forever. Right. And at some point the child has to be accountable for their own actions right so for those parents who raise their children to have mental fortitude and then the child just for some reason decides screw it i'm not going to do that anymore um, once they get into their teen years then those parents i give you an out mm -hmm. but if you're a parent who raised your child and coddled them 
and you protected them at every turn and you didn't allow their mind to be strengthened against the world and against slights and criticisms, et cetera, et cetera, then you're just a terrible parent. You are, you are an absolute terrible parent. The same as this, as this Makia, Makia's mother, the girl that got shot, the girl, the 16 year old that was shot and killed. Um, I forgot to mention this and it just popped into my mind, but the mother was on camera within a few hours talking about how her daughter was a peaceful person and she wanted peace for everybody. And I'm like, yeah, at the end of a knife, at the end of a knife, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then come to find out that the daughter was ripped away from the mother. We don't know exactly why. And the daughter, the child was living in foster care. Oh, <laughs> what kind of, so what kind of parent are you? Who's you? No, you don't get to come out in front of the, you don't get to go in front of a camera mm -hmm. and you don't get to lecture the United States about how wronged your child was because all you're, all I see you doing this for is for a dollar. Sure. You're doing it for some cash. Mm -hmm. You're trying to capitalize on the death of your daughter. That's terrible. That's after absolutely disgusting. Right. After your daughter, for some reason, was being raised in a foster home. Well, where the hell were you? Right. So we have to, You, ha if you're a parent, you have to raise your child to have some kind of mental fortitude. Because the world is going to eat your child otherwise. And you yes. can't be with your child 24 hours a day after they get to a certain age. You just can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and. I can appreciate for, you know, back to our discussion that we had last week, you know, some of the guys saying, you know, you just do it. Well, for you as a grown adult now, I think everybody there is, is in their late thirties plus we'll just say, um, yeah, at this point in your life, yes, you do just do it. You have trained, I guess you could say, or practiced your whole life up to this point. Um, I would still argue that actually leaving with some intentionality in your in your mind or at least in your conscience or consciousness, excuse me, is actually going to prepare you better to do that during your day. That being said, you cannot rely on, I don't believe you can rely on just the positive example that you have set to be the only educator for your children to live in and around the world. You know, I, I had fairly good role models in my parents growing up. I did. They're good people, really good people. I was very blessed, but I can tell you numerous times where my parents had to stop me and say, Jason, there's a life lesson to be learned here and educate me on that. You know, even when it, whether it was good or bad, there were life lessons that, that actually had to be learned. And you have to actually do that. Um, and that doesn't change. You know, that doesn't change. I, I don't think that there's, I think even as grown adults, we can look at situations and stop and saying, okay, wait, this didn't come out right. There's a lesson to be learned here. There's a life lesson for me to be learned here. Where did I miss it? Where did I lose it? And I can tell you that usually in those times, it's like, well, I did not put on my, intentional armor when I left the house. Cause I just kind of went through the motions and look at, I ended up falling into a pit and I didn't even see it coming. You know, there are things like that that happen all the time. 
Well, and and that's why, you know, I know we kind of got off a little bit on the tangent of the children and the raising of the children, but but that's important because I think that ties together. And that is you you can't just expect your child to go do it either when they don't if they don't know anything. Who are they to know? Right. Who's a 19-year-old or 20-year-old? What what the hell do they know? They don't know anything. You were talking about in the companies just make uh, they're making a widget whatever it was yeah. you put somebody on an assembly line if you don't teach them how to actually assemble the item put the widget together and do it the right way and think about what they're doing and just say well just go do it figure it out well, sit next to somebody else you know bob over there's been doing this for 30 years he's a good example if you just stand next to him and watch what he's doing and imitate you'll get it figured out yeah, you might fake it till you make it for a while, but what's going to happen in the interim? Right. And if you're not preparing your child to do that, you're going to throw them. You're literally going to throw them to the wolves. Why would you do that as a parent? And if, if you, if they're not prepared mentally to go out into the world, then they need to have something that they can fall back on. They need to have something that they can be, reminding themselves of their values and principles to live a good life. <clears throat> and so that has to start with you. That, that has to start with you that are, that is what are your values and principles and how do you reinforce those on a daily basis? And if you think for a moment that you don't have to worry about your values and principles for any length of time, well, I have them and I don't really think about them. Then I have news for you. You're probably not living by them. Unless you're reflecting on them on a regular basis, unless you're reflecting on them, I would argue daily. And it doesn't have to be an hour long reflection. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about <clears throat> something. That's why, that's why I love the concept of symbolism, of symbols. A symbol can have, can, can have just thousands of words worth of meaning wrapped up into it. And it takes a split second in you looking at a symbol and you know exactly what it means. And it, and it helps guide your life. And if you don't have something as simple like a symbol that you carry, carry around with you or that you look at on a daily basis to remind yourself how you're supposed to live, then, my, then it's easy money in Vegas that you're not living a principled life. Right. Right. And, you know, you, um, so we, in, back to the discussion that we were having when we were talking about this very thing, you know, actually trying to, we we're talking about living with honor. You know, we don't have that code of chivalry or that code of honor written out that we recite every day. But there are different things for, I think, different people that that do kind of hold that code. Um, and there are simple things, I think, to your point, <clears throat> that we do or can do that we probably don't recognize the opportunity or, or that we actually do that. You know, you and I have made no no um, qualms about hiding the fact that we are Masons. I know that you mentioned that you put your Masonic ring on your finger. That is a symbol. All rings are a reminder. That's what it was from back when it was just tying a string around your finger to remind you. But that is, that is a symbol of a reminder of something else. Your wedding ring is a reminder of the vows to um, the one you love and that you will be true and fair to that person for for now until you die literally until death do you part and that's why most people never take that ring off 
your Masonic ring, when you put it on, there are um, principles, if you will, or um, values that when you put that ring on, you say that you recite. I'm not going to point them out on, on here tonight, but you actually recite those, those when you put that on. And that's a reminder to you every day to go out and live by those cardinal virtues. Um, my dad wore a cross around his neck. He never took that off, but he always, every day when he would got ready and he washed his face and did everything, he would always dry that off before he put it underneath his shirt. And when he did that, he said a prayer. And that was a reminder to him of what he was going on. I know a lot of people that wear a cross around their neck. Um, you know, some people say a prayer in the morning. Some people recite a prayer at night. Whatever it is, there is a, a, a routine that you can go through and should, in my opinion, to remind you of what those values and principles are to continue on throughout your day or even to close out your day. I I prefer to do it in the morning because that puts me in the right frame of mind. But there's got to be something to remind you of those values and principles to put them in the forefront of your actual practice. Otherwise, they're in the back of your mind and they're that's never really a part of your active day. Um, I made reference to you that since starting to do this show and just talking about values and principles, how much more I notice my true values and principles show up every day while I'm while I'm just going through my daily activities and I can tell you there's been a handful of times that I have actually checked my actions against those and course corrected because I'm like uh-uh nope I'm tempted and I really could easily go down this path but that would actually act outside of my values and principles and I thanks Lucy for reminding me of that <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so that really does make a difference um, I have one last little, um, thing to share with you. Little ditty. Okay. Yeah. Um, but this is a good one. Kind of close this out. And I think this kind of puts a, a, um, how should I say a <clears throat> punctuation point on the end of, uh, this whole conversation. Okay. Um, so you've seen all of the all of the riots and protesting, especially like in Portland and all that kind of stupid <laughs> stuff. Well, not all of them, but yeah, uh, I've seen some. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I got a. I, I think this one is an oldie. I remembered this one. It's it's getting a, it's getting a lot of play again. Um, but as you can see, there's some there's some people back here. Uh, who I don't think have been prepared mentally to go out into the world. That's why they're wearing pink on their heads and pro protesting ridiculousness. But keep an eye on this guy right here. He's the star of the show. Okay. All right. You, I think you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, oh, oh, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> wait, 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 wait
Okay. Oh my. Okay. He came out. He came out of nowhere with a pot. With a. With a. With a frying pan. With a frying pan. Oh, fuck it! Fuck yeah! That's enough! That's enough! That's enough! Let's let's catch that right here. Oh, <laughs> These guys are recording. <laughs> starts capping people in the head with a pot. <laughs> That's a big deal right there. See, it doesn't get old. <laughs> Put him right on his butt, too. <laughs> Pow. Oh. Um, one thing that, you know, one thing that I was uh, watching today, and I just want to say this to kind of close out this whole topic. I'll get your thoughts on it, too, because I thought it was kind of interesting. I was watching... Are, are are you fans of Metallica by any chance, or were you ever a fan of Metallica? Yeah, I didn't uh, think so. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I'm not okay. kidding. <laughs> okay. Um, so for for those that don't know, Metallica is a heavy metal band. I think everybody who listens to this show knows who they are. There might be a few. They, that don't if they, they don't, are. please send me your address so I can come over there and kick you in the ass. Right. Um, well, it's now been like. 15 years or something like that when uh jason newstead left the band he was their bass their bass guitarist and he left the band and i was watching today i was watching a video of it was an hour-long interview with jason newstead and he talked about why he left the band but he also talked about what it was like when he tried out for the band okay now for those that don't know Metallica had a bassist before uh, Jason Newstead came on, right. and their bassist uh, was killed. He died tragically, and Jason was retelling Newstead was retelling the story about what it was like when he was trying out for the band to replace um, Cliff, who had who had passed away, and he said you had to understand that it was about two months. It, or, something like eight weeks or something like that after the death of the bassist. Mm -hmm. So here's four guys and they lose one of their best friends, one of their brothers, essentially. And it's not even two months later, but they have to keep going because they have contract obligations. They have all kinds, you know, they're, they're touring. They had all these things that were already in fight that if they were to cancel, they would be, <clears throat> they would be host. They would be out millions of dollars, all this kind of stuff. So they had to keep pushing forward. What Jason talked about was how when he shows up, everybody's just, they just immediately start drinking. They're just, and he said, he, he described something that I thought was really interesting. And he said, you know, you have to, you had to understand these were, you know, early 20 year old guys. They lost their brother and they had no idea how to deal with that. Right. They had no idea how to deal with that. And so for all intents and purposes, they became alcoholics overnight trying to deal with trying to grieve and he he jason was very upfront about it he said look they hadn't nobody taught them how to deal with this nobody taught them how to deal with this kind of turmoil how to overcome it and push forward and push through it and 
as and he, uh, in his words, he said, the bassist who died was essentially that guiding beacon for those four guys already. He was already the guy that was, yeah, you have four guys who are basically 20 years old, but out of the four of them, he was the guy with the most wisdom or take mm -hmm. that for whatever it's worth, right? But he was the guy who was guiding them and now all of a sudden he's no longer there. And so there's nobody, they didn't have, their families weren't around to guide them through this or to set them up on a path to be able to deal with that. And so I think that ties into what I was saying, what we were talking about earlier is you're going to send your 19, 20 year old out into the world and you have no idea what they're going to encounter. And yet here's an example where the band Metallica before they actually, I mean, they were already taking off, right. but they're still early twenties and they lose a band member who's essentially one of their brothers and they don't know how to deal with it. They don't, they're, they're not, they were never mentally prepared for something like that. Nobody ever prepared them for that. Nobody ever taught them how to deal with that. Nobody gave them the, the, the moral and ethical and psychological foundation to deal with something like that. I'm not saying it was, it was going to be simple, just saying they weren't given any structure on how to deal with that pain. Right. right. And, and it, it set them up for the next 20 years of alcoholism and drug abuse or whatever, you know, entailed because of it. Um, so I thought that was very, I thought it was very, uh, poignant in the, in the fact that what are we doing as parents? What are we doing with this generation? And it's even worse, yeah, uh, because words are violence. I don't think there was, I don't think anybody on Metallica ever thought words were violence per se. Um, obviously they were, they were experiencing a very traumatic event with the passing of their friend. And today's youth experience one-tenth of that. Mm -hmm. and they already can't handle it yeah no you so, just you talk to them harshly and they can't handle that and they can't handle it so right. what do you what do we do to prepare ourselves for those kinds of things what do, what do you do to prepare and I'm, I'm just saying i'm not asking you to answer that question but just <clears throat> rhetorically our listeners <clears throat> what is it that you're doing to prepare for those types of challenges that the universe is going to throw at you because it's going to throw them at you and yeah it's going to be hard to handle those and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be painful. And you're probably going to spend a lot of time crying and trying to figure things out. But you can either A, not prepare for it and be completely overwhelmed when the, when the eventuality strikes you. Or you can be working to at least steal your mind so that you can deal with it in a calm and rational manner. I'll give you the last word. I don't really know what more to say to that. Um, it's it, it's a daily endeavor. And I think we, we get in the habit of becoming very complacent with just going through the motions. And so I, I believe that there is great strength in being intentional every day, in striving to be the kind of man if you want to call it that, that your father wanted you to be, or that your father was, if that's your role model, um, be the kind of man and the kind of person who is going to be the strong role model for your kids. And if you're not intentional every day to do it better today than you did yesterday, I think you're subject to sliding backwards in the complacency of that. 
and it's not easy. It's difficult. It takes work and it takes daily effort. And I mean, daily, um, it's very easy to just become like, again, complacent with just the day to day. So good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for talking through it. Of course. As always, it was a lot of fun. It was. I'm gonna oh. you, I I'm gonna hear that song or the sound of that pot hitting that guy's face going to bed tonight. I swear to God. <laughs> Damn straight. <laughs> Freaking fantastic. I watched it like 20 <clears throat> times and I every time I just laugh and laugh and laugh. <laughs> just couldn't stop. It's just and it keeps getting great. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. As always, you can send us, you can catch all of our stuff on fusionunderground.net. You can send us email, contact at fusionunderground.net. We're on Twitter, we're on Parlor, we're on all kinds of other stuff. Uh, you can search for us on YouTube. The videos are back up there and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Fusion Underground. At least for now. <laughs> AZ Fusion Underground. At least for now. Yeah. yeah. At, at least for now. For Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez, and you've been listening to the Fusion Underground. Peace. Have a good night.